For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Apostle Paul writes that in Galatians 4. And essentially what he's saying to the church in Galatia is there is a way of living as followers of Jesus. And there's a way of knowing that the Spirit is at work, that God's Spirit is at work in us. Because there's going to be signs. There's going to be evidence that God's Spirit is at work in us. There's going to be fruit from that. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you ever heard of hurry sickness? Hurry sickness is a disease in which a person feels chronically short of time, and so they tend to perform every task faster and get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Or Meyer Friedman, a cardiologist who actually coined the term hurry sickness, defines it as a continuous struggle to achieve more and more things or participate in more and more in less and less time. Now what's interesting is Meyer Friedman coined this phrase, hurry sickness, in the 1950s. About 70 years ago, long before the internet or smartphones or travel sports or businesses being open on Sundays, Meyer Friedman noticed something about American culture. A need to accomplish more and more in less and less time. Now, I'm no doctor, but I have to believe that America is still infected with a very bad case of hurry sickness. John Mark Comer, in his great book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, one of my favorite books I've read in the past few years, highly recommend it. Uh, There's copies in the bookstore. You can find it online. Uh, He identifies 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And so I'm going to read these 10 symptoms, and I just want you to evaluate your own journey, your own walk, your own life right now, and ask yourself, are any of these 10 symptoms present in your life? Now, one quick note, if you are here with a significant other, this is not about them. No nudging, no looking at them. This is about you, okay? Let's throw that out there. So here we go. Irritability. Hypersensitivity. Restlessness. Workaholism or nonstop activity. Emotional numbness. Out of order priorities. Lack of care for your body. Escapist behaviors. Lack of spiritual disciplines. Isolation. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I have to be honest, as I read through John Mark Comer's list of 10 symptoms of hurry sickness, I identify with all 10. 
This message that I am sharing with you today is not based on something I perfected, but something that God is definitely at work within me. I love to be productive. I love to rush from thing to thing. I love lists, and I love crossing things off of lists after I've accomplished said thing. And sometimes I accomplish something, and I realize it wasn't on my list, so I add it to my list so I can cross it off. Anyone else? I'm not alone, and thank you. Let's take yours unite. I walk fast everywhere I go. Even on vacation, I walk fast. Drives my wife crazy. I tell her I'm just trying to be a good steward of the time that God has given me on this earth. That does not go well. That's the way I live my life. I'm rushed. And so this message that I'm sharing with you is, is, is coming out of the work that God is doing in my own life. But I don't think I'm alone. Statistically, burnout, road rage, irritability, and depression are at all-time highs in America. And while I don't have a study to prove this, from general observation as I go about in society, it just it feels like the fruit of the Spirit is in short supply. And while there may be many reasons for that, I have to believe one of the reasons for that is simply this. No one rushes themselves into the fruit of the Spirit, but you can rush yourself out of it. In the Western world, in America, we pride ourselves on busy schedules and we fill up our square wall calendars so they look like filled in bingo cards. It's like, ooh, look, seven in a row. But that comes with a price. As someone once said, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. We're busy, we're hurried, we're distracted, we're tired. And then we read scripture that talks about this peaceful, calm life. And it, and it sounds so unrealistic. It sounds like a fairy tale. Take David's words in Psalm 23, that beautiful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And when I read this, I go, good for David. He's on vacation. But he's not. David continues, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David isn't on vacation. And he's not talking about a place he's going to go after he dies. He's talking about a way of living that David believes is available to him here and now in this life. And we fast forward to Jesus' life. As Jesus walked the earth, Jesus made statements as if he also believed that there's a way of living available to us as humans, here and now, that is not anxious and rushed and frantic, but is very much at peace. Listen to Jesus' words in our text for this entire series on recovering your life in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, are you tired? Any tired people in the room this morning? Worn out. Anyone worn out? Burned out on religion. Anyone in the room feel like religion is just one more thing that you have to add on to an already packed schedule and it's exhausting? 
Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Walk with me and watch how I do it. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. And remember, Jesus is saying this to Jews that are being oppressed by the Roman Empire. Their lives are difficult. And yet Jesus says to this Jewish audience living in a very difficult time that there is a way to live available to them where they can live freely and lightly. That sounds nice, doesn't it? But how do we get there if we find ourselves in that worn out, tired, exhausted place? It can feel impossible. In the time we have left, I, I want to look at Jesus' life and, and point out some ways that he modeled for us what it looks like to live a healthy, rested life. And then at the end of the message, I want to give you three practical next steps. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and that you will find one of the next steps helpful in living just a little bit more freely and lightly. So, sound good? Everyone still with me? Yes. Okay. Mark 6 is where we're going to start. So Mark 6, starting in verse 30. Uh, right before verse 30, Jesus has sent out the disciples two by two to go to the towns and villages to preach that the kingdom of God is here now, to do miracles and heal people. And so they've come back and they're reporting to Jesus all of this amazing work that they've done. So Matthew 6, 30, verses 30 and 31. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, now let's just stop right here for a second. Let's just be honest. In American culture, we're expecting Jesus to say something like, that's awesome, guys. You did wonderful. But guess what? That's only round one. There's more work to do. There's more people to heal. There's more villages that need to hear the message of the gospel. So, so here's my boombox. Here's Rocky, Eye of the Tiger. Get back out there, carpe diem. Win one for Jesus. Like, let's go. Let's go do this. We got more work to do. Can you guys give one more week of your lives for God? Can you do that? Okay, get out there. I mean, if we're honest, that's kind of what we would expect Jesus to say. But that's not what he says. Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Throughout the Gospels, we see this theme of work and rest in Jesus' ministry. Now, I want to be real clear, work and rest, right? Like, we can take it too far and go, well, God just wants me to rest all the time. No, no, God created us for work. He created us to be productive human beings, but there is a, a beautiful balance, and Jesus models this for us, a balance of work and rest. But as Jesus worked, he wasn't frantic or rushed. I mean, you think about when Jesus started his ministry, he had three years. Right? He, he starts his ministry and he has three years until he is going to end up on that cross. So a, a little over a thousand days to 
Take 12 young teenage boys, disciple them, and help them grow to the point that after he dies, they can begin the greatest mission that has ever been undertaken in the history of the world, and they can take Jesus' message and begin a movement that is going to last past the Roman Empire. It is going to last century after century. It is going to go so far that over 2,000 years later, halfway across the world, you and I are still talking about it. It's a gigantic undertaking. And I don't know about you, but if I was, if I was Jesus, and I, of course I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus and I knew I only had three years to train up those 12 boys, I would feel a little frantic. I'd feel a little rushed. I don't know that I would be living freely and lightly. But Jesus, as you read the Gospels, he never seems frantic or rushed. He models for his disciples this this pace of life that involves work and rest, rest and work. In John 4, there's this story that many of us, if we grew up in church, are familiar with it. It's often called the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Jesus is at a, a, a well outside of a town in Samaria, and a Samaritan woman comes out to the well, and they have this interaction, and there's so much going on. It's this beautiful story. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. Jewish rabbis wouldn't have anything, due to, anything to do with uh, uh, women, much less a Samaritan woman, as far as conversing with them. But here he and her are alone, and they're conversing, and he tells her everything she's ever done, and she's amazed, and she goes back to the village, and she says, hey, you all got to come out. I know he's a Jewish rabbi, and we're Samaritans, and we don't get along, but he just told me everything that I've ever done. Like, he's a prophet. He's, he, he's, he, he, you've got to come listen to him. And so they all come out, and the whole village has changed because of this one interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. And so often we lose sight of how this whole interaction even came to be in the first place. John 4, starting in verse 4, John says, now he had to, now speaking of Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Did you catch that? It's the middle of the day and Jesus is resting. Now, I don't know about you, but, but in my mind, I'm immediately, when I, when, I, when I caught that, I was like, hold up, wait, 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 Jesus, come on, you're in your early 30s. You don't need to be resting in the middle of the day. Like, you're God's son. I know it's hot in the Middle East, but you are God's son. Like, you, you, you got to take the message and spread it. You got to heal people. Like, what are you doing resting in the middle of the day? That's just a bad use of time, Jesus. But Jesus is resting. And it's interesting because you read, as you read the Gospels, I, I think what you'll find, see, see, Jesus is resting and it is from his rest he's able to have this interaction with this woman that changes this whole town. And, and I have to believe that as you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't rest because he did great work. Jesus did great work because he was rested. Jesus got away and he spent time with God and he prayed he got away with his disciples, then he rested. Jesus lived a life of rest, and it was out of that life of rest that he did the work that God was calling him to do. Rest was not a bonus because Jesus was good. Rest was the thing that allowed Jesus to do the great work. And yet in our American culture, we treat rest like this little prize. Like, if I work really hard, I might rest. I might take a day off. I might take a couple hours. But Jesus models for us a life where he, he rested and it was from that rest that he was able to love people well. 
And it's fascinating that thousands of years later, uh, modern day studies are confirming the model that Jesus demonstrated in his fascinating book, Rest is the title, by Alex Peng. Alex Peng references this study they did of Ivy League grads, and they followed Ivy League grads for a number of years. Uh, all these Ivy League grads were brilliant, top of the class, and they just wanted to see uh, which grads excelled in their professions and which ones struggled, and obviously, what was the difference. And so they, they followed these Ivy League grads for a number of years, and they watched some of them get promotions and, were, and be well-liked and respected in their fields. And then they saw other Ivy League grads that just seemed to struggle in their professions. And so after a, 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 a lot of study of what was the difference, they came up with one big difference between the high performers and the ones that struggled. And the one big difference was this. The ones that did really well and got promotions and were well-liked, the ones that did really well had hobbies and worked in normal hours per week, and the ones that struggled were workaholics. And from that, here's the conclusion of the study. The high achievers, this is what they said about the high achievers. The high achievers didn't have hobbies as a reward for their great work. They did great work because of their hobbies. And all the guys are like, I'm going golfing this afternoon. So if Jesus lived a rested life where he worked out of rest and he believed that life was available to you and me, how, how, do we, how do we move towards a rested life if we find ourselves in the frantic, rushed, burned out pace of life that we Americans just assume is normal? Well, in the time we have left, I'd like to give you Again, I'd like to give you three practical ways that we could perhaps step into a more rested life this week. And, and my, my prayer, my challenge, my hope is that the Holy Spirit will, will challenge you in one of the three areas. That you'll feel a prodding or a, or a nudging in your heart in one of these three areas. That this week you can practically step more into a rested life, a life lived freely and lightly. So number one, first, first way to rest for some of us this week is rest in saying no. Rest in saying no. If you read Jesus' life in the Gospels, Jesus was not afraid to say no and disappoint people. Throughout the Gospels, we see interactions where crowds wanted him to stay, and Jesus said, no, I have to go to the next village, the next town. There were interactions where his disciples wanted him to do something, and Jesus said, no, you don't get it. That's not what I'm about. There, there were interactions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders where Jesus disappointed them and said, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus said a lot of yeses, but he also said a lot of noes. The reality is every time we say yes to something, we are, we're saying no to something else. Jesus was willing to say no. And I think what, what the problem is in American culture, well, my observation from my life and from the lives of friends and family members, in American culture, there's a whole lot of good things to say yes to that we forget that saying yes to a whole lot of good things doesn't equal a great life. You can yes your way into a rushed, frantic, tired, hectic, horrible life. Sometimes choosing what is better is actually saying no to what is good. That's hard. 
I love the interaction that Jesus has with two sisters. Most of us grew up in church, again, are familiar with this story. Luke 10, 38-42, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, most of us are familiar with this story and we know how it ends, but if, if you just stop the story and pretend you don't know what's about to happen, can we just all agree that, that we're all on Team Martha right now? Like, we're all on Team Martha. Martha is doing the... Per- like, if you have God in the flesh show up at your house, there's a whole lot of activity that's going to happen. I guarantee it. Like, you're not door dashing for Jesus, okay? Can we just agree? Like, I mean, you're going to the grocery store, you're getting food, right? Like, there's a whole lot of commotion. Uh, and so Martha is in the kitchen. She's preparing food for Jesus, his disciples, and the friends. And, and most likely in that day and age, when you have a gathering like that, there's going to be other women present that are helping Martha in, uh, in the kitchen, right? She's not really alone. She says she's by myself, but I think she's just making a point. But one woman is missing, Mary's missing. Mary should be the other host, right? Mary should be helping. But Mary's sitting in with Jesus. And and again, Scripture, you know, there's a lot of things Scripture leaves out. I don't don't know how this happened, but I'm guessing for Martha it was a slow boil, right? Like she starts to get annoyed, starts banging pots and pans around in the kitchen. Maybe she peeks her head into the living room and just gives Mary that death glare, you know, that my wife has a glare that she gives our kids. Never me, never me. But our, but our kids, and I'm like, ooh, when she does that, you know, you know, you got a few seconds to do what she wants you to do. So maybe, you know, maybe Martha peeked her head in. Mary just ignored her. So at some point, Martha just can't take it, and she storms in in front of all of the guests, and she says to Jesus, like, don't you care? Like, can you tell my sister to come in the kitchen and help me? And again, let's be honest, like we're, we're, I'm kind of with Martha at this point. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that seems about right. That seems fair. Mary should be helping. She's hosting. Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Worried and upset about many things. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Man, there's so much in, the, in those few sentences that Jesus said. But here's what I think Jesus is saying to her. He's saying, Martha, it's great that you're preparing food, though I am noticing that you're anxious and frantic and upset about it. But Mary over here, sitting at my feet, learning from me, she, she's, a, she's calm, she's at peace. And in this moment, she's chosen what is better. And I'm not going to take that away from her. I wonder how often we rush around frantic and upset and worried. And sometimes we even justify it in Christianese terms, like, I'm just serving Jesus, right? And, and I wonder if, if at times God looks down at us or, or the Holy Spirit's gentle nodding inside of us, the nudging inside of us is simply, there's a better way to live. There's a better path to take. So maybe for some of us whose souls are tired today, we're anxious, we're frantic, we're rushed, and maybe, maybe the path to a more rested, freeing life is to say some difficult no's. Maybe there's some conversations that need to be had this week 
maybe there's some people that are going to be disappointed, but the path to a more rested life with the fruit of the Spirit evident in our life is, through, is by saying no to some good things and choosing what is better. So that's the first thought for you, rest in saying no. Secondly, rest in Sabbath. This past year, uh, I was fortunate enough to go over to Israel, and it was an incredible experience. Spent about 10 days in Israel, and a number of those days were in Jerusalem. And I was able to be in Jerusalem over the Sabbath. It was in the Jewish sector. In fact, I got to have a Shabbat meal, a, a Jewish Sabbath meal with a Jewish family. It was incredible. But it was so fascinating because I was in the Jewish sector of Jerusalem and as the sun begins to set on the Sabbath, there was a ton of commotion, people scrambling at vendors, getting last minute food and, and supplies. And then as the sun went down, everything stopped. Every single business shut their doors. And this silence just invaded the Jewish sector. And, it, and it, I don't know how to explain it other than to say it wasn't an eerie silence. It was, it was a peaceful silence. As families ate meals in their homes and friends conversed. And that next day, uh, that Sabbath, the next Sabbath, full Sabbath day, like there were couples going for walks. There were kids playing in parks, but there, there were no travel sports. There was no businesses open. There was no crazy commotion. It, it was It was peaceful. And I couldn't help but wonder halfway through that day, what, what if there was a way to, to, to make America take a Sabbath? To make every American for 24 hours take a break from their work and actually enjoy their life? To make every American for 24 hours stop the hustle and bustle of trying to accomplish more and get more done and prove more and simply enjoy their friends and their family members and enjoy their life? What a difference that would make. Now, obviously, I, I, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But for some of us in the room, there might be opportunity this week. The voice of the gentle Holy Spirit might be encouraging us this week to create some space for Sabbath. Now, I understand for most of us, a 24-hour Sabbath is just, it just sounds impossible. And so maybe we need to start small. Maybe, maybe just starting with a window. A four-hour window every week, half a day every week, where there's no getting things done, there's no work, but simply delighting in your life, enjoying your life, resting. Now, rest is going to look different for all of us. Some of us, it may mean going outdoors and, and playing games or sports. For others of us, maybe being indoors with a book or baking food, making food. The key is it energizes you. The key is it's life-giving to you. Now, it's interesting. Then the Ten Commandments, uh, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, the first three are all about our relationship with God. Have no other gods before me, no, no graven images, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And then the fourth commandment is honor the Sabbath. Right? You were slaves in Egypt. You worked all the time. There was never enough time to get everything done. Now you're not slaves. Now you're starting this new civilization. Uh, and guess what? You're not going to work all the time. You're going to honor the Sabbath. And then the next six all are about interactions with other people. Honor your parents. Don't kill anyone. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. 
And some Bible, Bible scholars wonder if there is an intentionality to that order. As if God is saying, first of all, it starts with your relationship with him. But before, before he gets to our interactions with others, the way to interact well with others is to first rest and recharge ourselves. Anyone in the room ever had a toddler that was just misbehaving and you thought to yourself, they're just being awful to other people and you were like, wow, what this toddler needs is a nap. Or some adults, let's be honest. It's almost as if God is saying, if you honor the Sabbath, if you rest and recharge and enjoy your life, it'll be easier to love your enemies and not kill them. It'll be easier to not lie and to tell the truth. It'll be easier to not covet what you have, be thankful for, or covet what other people have, be thankful for what you have. It starts with rest. Perhaps for some of us this week, there's an opportunity to create some space for rest. And for those of us that like to be productive and are like, I like to get things done, understand that by resting and recharging, you will actually help yourself do the work that God has called you to do well. Perhaps for some of us this week, there is an opportunity to rest in Sabbath. And then lastly, rest in saying no, rest in Sabbath, and then rest in contentment. Our culture bombards us with a lot of messages, but I think most of the messages our culture bombards us with all come back to one simple thing. You need something. You don't have enough. You aren't enough. You need a raise. You, you, you need more recognition. You, you need more stuff. Your kids need more opportunities, more travel sports, more options. They're going to be left out. And by the way, I'm not, my kids are in travel sports, so I'm just picking on travel sports because that's my life right now. And yet, the words of Jesus are very clear. You are enough. You have enough. And you can rest in that. We come to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And we want to say to David, are you sure? Have you seen the internet, David? And yet scripture is very clear that there is an opportunity to be content in what God has given us. To be content in all that we have and who we are in Christ. It's interesting, in Jesus' first recorded battle with contentment, I think happens early on in his ministry. He goes out to the desert for 40 days, and at the end of that 40 days, he's tempted by the devil at three interactions, and, and all three battles with the devil boil down to deciding if Jesus is going to be content. First off, the devil comes to him. He's been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry, and, and the devil says, turn these stones into bread. And there's a, there's a battle in Jesus with contentment. Am I content and trusting that God will provide for me, or am I going to provide for myself? And after Jesus refutes that with Scripture, the devil takes Jesus to the temple and says, why don't you jump off here, and God's going to send his angels, and his angels are going to catch you. And essentially what the devil is doing here is saying, why don't you prove to yourself that God is, in fact, with you, that God is going to take care of you. And again, Jesus has to decide, is he content in who he knows he is and that God is with him? Or is he going to test God to prove that God is with him? And again, Jesus is content and he refuses to do that. And then lastly, the devil shows him all the kingdoms and he basically says, you can rule over them all. And again, this is a wrestling in Jesus with contentment. Will he be content 
with the path that God has given him. To disciple 12 teenage boys for three years and then die a painful death on a cross? Or will he accept the devil's offer to become a ruler over all of the kingdoms and forgo all of that? And each time Jesus chooses to be content in who he is and the path that he knows God has him on. So perhaps for some of us this week, there's an opportunity to rest in contentment. Perhaps for some of us, there's an opportunity this week to just recite Psalm 23 as we go about our week. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. As we close, I want to read the uh, 10 symptoms of hurry sickness one more time. And then I'm going to read Jesus' words in response in Matthew And I just want you to allow the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you and invite you into a lighter, freeing life this week. Irritability. Hypersensitivity. Restlessness. Workaholism, nonstop activity. Emotional numbness, out-of-order priorities, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors, lack of spiritual disciplines, isolation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love for us. There's no shame as we come to you with our anxious and frantic lives. There's simply love and grace and an offer for something better. Father, I pray for those of us in the room that find ourselves tired, worn out, burned out, and living a rested life feels impossible. Father, would you help us take a small step in that direction this week? Would you guide us in recovering our life? In Jesus' name, amen.